Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we're joined by our lead pastor, Dave Ferguson, as we wrap up our series, Here to There. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. All right, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Doing good? How about this beautiful weekend, huh? Oh, man, just been gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. So man, we ought to be doing good. Um, I'll tell you, I, I, here's the question for you. How many of you remember um, learning to drive? You remember learning to drive? You remember, for some of you going like, oh, that was like last year. What are you talking about, Dave? Um, how many, I guess everybody does driver's ed, right? Everybody, everybody's done driver's ed, right? Do you remember your driver's ed teacher? Yes. I heard a whole bunch of yes. Okay. My driver's ed teacher was Mr. Bauer. Mr. Bauer was a curmudgeon of an old man, a grumpy old man who was the assistant football coach at Crete Money High School whose teams always lost. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that Mr. Bauer took out all of his frustration on his driver's ed students from his poor football seasons. Uh, I remember one day I was, I was, I was driving, uh, learning to drive with Mr. Bauer, and of course I'm you know, in the driver's seat, and he's in the passenger side, and he's in his usual kind of grouchy mood. He's barking out instructions and insults, shaking his head, rolling his eyes, like, how come this kid's never going to get it? I don't know exactly what happened to me. Maybe I was having a bad day, too, but it was like I couldn't take it anymore. I just couldn't take it anymore. And it's a moment, I, I still don't know exactly what came over me. We're driving 35 miles per hour through one of the suburbs, in the, you know, the south suburbs down there. And, and I just like completely let go of the steering wheel. <laughs> I completely let go of the steering wheel. And I looked at Mr. Bauer. I threw my arms up like this. I looked at Mr. Bauer and said, okay, then you drive. <laughs> Somehow I still passed. Um, but even after I passed driver's education, then I had to learn how to drive a stick because my first car was a, was a stick. Um, any, of you, any, any of you ever teach anybody how to drive a stick? Teach how to, yes, that will test relationships. Am I right? If you want to find out the sincerity of your love for one another, teach each other how to, one of you teach each other how to drive a stick. And it's a tough thing because you, I mean, you have to kind of release the clutch, push the gas, release the gas, push the clutch, change the gear, release the clutch, push the gas again, brake, clutch, gas. I mean, you got to get all those things working all at once, right? Maybe more challenging than Mr. Bauer, I don't know. But it took me practice, and eventually, driving the stick kind of became second nature. And I've, I've actually, I've had a stick car shift, or stick car shift, stick, is that how you say it? Thank you. Maybe, we, maybe you guys should talk and I could listen. Um, a stick shift car my whole life, my whole life. And it's kind of like, you know, and once you kind of get it started, then you get a little momentum, you go one, two, and you, and you just, you kind of just, it's like an instinct and eventually it takes you from here, right, to there. And um, I want you to hold on to that whole idea because we're in the third week of our series called Here to There. And this journey is a journey to get us to a place of security. It's a journey to get us to a place of satisfaction. It's a journey to get us to a place, really, of, of where we feel of real significance. And getting from here to there is a lot like kind of learning to drive a car. At first it might be difficult. We might even throw up our arms, wonder is it really worth it. But after a time, it will actually become almost second nature. And we can drive from here to there. Now, you know what it's like. Many of us do to be stuck over here. 
You have a pile of bills, a mountain of debt, and you feel worried, right? You're grinding the gears. You're not going anywhere. You like that? Yeah. You know what it's like to be here where you can't afford things you want and you feel really frustrated. Right? Or you know what it's like to be here and you have all the stuff you want but you still feel unfulfilled. Nobody wants to be here. And here's the good news. I've been stressing throughout the series who God doesn't want you to be here either. What we want to do is we want to move from here to over there because there, way over there, when we get there, that's a place of security where we don't have to worry or stress about finances anymore, right? Oh, you like that, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> over there, okay, over there is actually a place of satisfaction. We no longer feel the compulsion like I have to have more and more and more, right? Over there is a place of significance where our lives become meaningful and impactful. One more time. Right? Nobody wants to be stuck over here. We want to get over there. So how do we do it? And that's what we've been talking about through this whole series. And um, we've been looking at, 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 at Scripture over and over and over again and applying it to real life. And, and, and in summary, if you, if you haven't been with us through the whole series, you can go back and watch the video cast or subscribe to our podcast. But in summary, we've kind of said, here's the journey in, in really kind of simple, memorable ways. It starts with this. It starts with you being what we call an initial giver, all right? An initial giver. Initial giver is someone who says, you know what? If this is the path from here to there and it's generosity, I got to at least get in the game. And so I, I, give, I give first and I give consistently. I give the first of what I have and I give consistently. That's an initial giver. And then last week we talked about taking that second step or, sh- or shifting into kind of second gear. And we said that's when you become an intentional giver. You start giving proportion to your income. Here's the percentage I want to give. And the Bible challenges with 10%. And we start doing that on a regular basis. Well, if you want to get all the way from here to there, the third step is what we call a surrendered giver. The third gear is kind of a a a surrendered giver. Now, to get us started, though, and and think about what it means to be a surrendered giver, I want you to think of people who have demonstrated extraordinary generosity. People who have demonstrated extraordinary generosity. I'll tell you what, go ahead and turn to the person near you and just tell them, oh, oh, I think that, that person, that's an example of extraordinary generosity, okay? Just turn to someone near you, an example of extraordinary generosity, okay? All right, let's, uh, let's, let's take a little risk here. Let's, uh, let's, let's get a few, give me, give me a couple examples there. Somebody, uh, somebody uh, give me examples. Somebody, extraordinary generosity. Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, that's a good example. Example, Absolutely. Somebody else? Who's that? Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett's a guy who took all of his money and said, hey, Bill Gates has got so much money he's put into his foundation, I'm just going to combine mine with his, right? That's a, that's a good example. Somebody else? God. Okay, let's applaud the person that just said God. <laughs> You're absolutely right. but <laughs> I guess I shouldn't make fun of someone that says God, should I? Eric, our creative arts director, is on the front row. He's going to critique this and say, Dave, next time, don't do that. Okay. I apologize. Um, one more. Somebody else? What? The people that just came back from the Philippines. Okay. I'm getting, this, this, this is very this is interesting. This, this group is obviously profoundly more spiritual than the last two groups I've talked to. Because you said Mother Teresa. You said God. You said the truth. 
The last group, okay, the last group, here's what they said. They actually, they, they, they were, immediately they went to him. This is kind of where I go, okay? They said, people, they said like, people like Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg, he pledged to give $45 billion, $45 billion you know, the founder of Facebook, to, to charity before he dies. Uh, someone else, uh, didn't mention Warren Buffett, but someone else talked about um, uh, Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates, who have already given, I think, $30 billion to, 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 to charity. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm kind of a little more in the, in the vein with, with some of you. I want, here's where I want to go today. I want to tell you about a group of people who are extraordinarily generous, extraordinarily generous, but they weren't extraordinarily wealthy. They weren't extraordinarily wealthy. In fact, I think as we're going to discover, they were actually in an income bracket probably lower than almost anybody in this room. Despite that, they got to the place where they were kind of that third shift where they were surrendered givers. They knew how to take us from here to there. The Apostle Paul was so impressed with these folks, so impressed with who they were, that when he wrote this book called 2 Corinthians, he included them as a primary example of what it meant to be a surrendered giver. And, and here's how he describes them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-4. through 4, He says, hey, brothers and sisters, Corinthians, I want you to know about the grace that God has given these folks in Macedonia. In the middle of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I'm telling you, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded us with the, for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. The people Paul's writing about, this, these were not billionaires. These were not millionaires. And in fact, these Macedonian Christians get described in, in two different ways. First of all, they get described as people who, who lived in extreme po- poverty. They lived in a province that was a part of the Roman Empire that, w- that was known to be economically oppressed extreme poverty. But second of all, it also describes in this way, it says in the middle of severe trial, because they were brand new Christians, many of them were persecuted. And that persecution would often show up in two different ways. Sometimes it was actual physical kind of persecution and violence, but other times it would be in an economic boycott. So let's say, let's say you, op- you are a brand new Christian, you open up a store, and everybody knew that you were now a Christ follower. If you were a shop owner, it was very possible that much of the community would find that out and say, well, if that's the case, I'm taking my business elsewhere. An economic boycott. And that's how they experienced this, this, this severe trial. So Paul's aware of all this. That they, got, they live in a place of extreme poverty. They're going through the, these, these brutal kind of trials. And so he doesn't even want to bother them by asking them to give and support the Jesus mission. But in response, they find out about it and they come to Paul and they insist, no, 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 let us, don't take away our privilege to give, they insist. So let's just pause, take a time out right there. The Macedonians are a great example because they quickly blow up any assumption that generosity is only a perk for those who are very wealthy or those who can afford it. In fact, these people, they're facing, it says, severe trial, extreme poverty. And it says, of them, it says this. It says, they had overflowing joy and they were rich in their generosity. And then it gets even stranger. Listen to what this, okay? Extreme poverty, severe trial, but they have overflowing joy. They're rich in their generosity. But then it goes on and says this. It says, entirely on their own, they start urgently pleading with me, Paul, and all of us apostles for the privilege of giving, of sharing. All right, if this was to happen like here at the yellow box, all right? Here's what it would look like today. This would be like the pastor coming to you and saying to you, hey, stop giving. Stop giving. 
You have, you have given way, way, way too much. Please, 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 please. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. It's overwhelming. Just quit. Can you please stop? Can you please stop? Can I get an amen? amen. All right, right? How likely is that to be heard? Not too likely, probably, right? You're like, I don't think I've heard that here before. But here's the other thing that's crazy, though. So they're say, Paul's saying that to them, but then the church is saying back to him, going, no, 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 we have to give. We have to give. We insist we're going to give. We're going to keep on giving. You can't stop us from giving. I mean, it, the whole thing is crazy. It's like an amusement park for pastors, right? It doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. But the Macedonians are suffering and poor, yet they insist on giving. Let me ask you again. Ever know anybody who's extravagantly generous? Um, another example came to mind for me, different than some of the first ones that came to mind. A few years ago, I got a chance to travel to Haiti. Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Haiti, Haiti's the poorest country in our uh, Western hemisphere. And I've got a chance to travel other places around the world that even actually statistically are supposed to be have greater poverty. But I'm telling you, the experience of Haiti and all the things that are a part of it I've never experienced anything as oppressive as kind of the poverty that's there um, in Haiti. And um, on this particular trip, we were working in an orphanage. And when I think about being an orphan in Haiti, I think extreme poverty and severe trial, I mean, it's like the perfect descriptor. But in that Haitian orphanage, I was also taught a lesson about overflowing joy and rich generosity. Um, let me tell you what would happen. Every morning when we would wake up, and I went with uh, a few folks from the church, with my wife, Sue, and my youngest son, Caleb. Actually, Sue's getting ready to go back again this Thursday, back there to visit him again. But every morning when we would wake up, we'd get ready for breakfast. And we finally got ready for breakfast. We'd come out kind of into the opening of where the orphanage was, kind of this opening area there. All the kids would greet us there with big hugs and then hand us mangoes. And those mangoes came from the only mango tree, you know, on the property. And those little orphan kids, uh, uh, those mangoes, I mean, that, that was like, this still undersells it, but it was like candy. And, and, and it was interesting to watch. As soon as a mango would fall from the tree, it was like a scrum of all these little kids, like, fighting over the mango. I mean, sometimes, they, I mean, they're actually fighting. You had to break them up and say, hey, stop it. Some of, the little, some of the little guys, they, they, they got kind of ingenious. They would actually wake up in the middle of the night, wake up in the middle of the night, go down, sneak out. They weren't supposed to do this. They'd sneak out over to the mango tree, walk around the mango tree to see if any mangoes had fallen. And if they had, they'd grab them up and take them to bed with them. And then the next morning, they would get up. And um, every morning that we were there, we'd get greeted by the poorest kids in our part of the world with the only treasure they had, and they would give us this mango. And uh, Caleb and I, my son Caleb, and I, we were talking about this week, and because um, I was test running some of the stuff I was doing on this message on him over dinner, he could tell, and, and he, he said, he said, oh man, the best example ever was when we were in Haiti, and those little kids gave us mangoes. Extraordinary generosity. All right, why am I telling you about Haitian orphans? Why do you think Paul was telling the church in Corinth about these Macedonian folks. And I think this is something really important. I really want you to get this. I really want you to get this for you, all right? Extraordinary generosity is something that's possible 
for all of us. It's something that's possible for all of us. It's possible for me, and it's possible for you right now. Right now. Now, while you're letting that sink in, not only is, it, is, is, is generosity something extraordinary, generosity rendered, not only is it something possible and accessible for you, but it's also something, it says very, something very important about our own spiritual maturity. So after Paul tells them about the Macedonians, okay, then he challenges them. Okay, now he challenges them. Okay, now I want you, you've seen the Macedonians. In our case, you've also heard about these, these Haitian orphans. I want you to start growing. I want you to start moving from here to there. And he says this. He says, since you excel in everything, and he's patting them on the back. The Corinthian church, there were, a lot, there were good things that they were doing. He says, you excel in these things. You excel in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and the love that we've kindled in you now. But also, also make sure you excel in this grace of giving. And I think, I think if, if Paul was writing that, the, 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 that letter to, to us here at Community, particularly in Naperville, I think he'd say, you know what? Hey, you excel in a lot of things. You guys do a great job with, with, with church planning. You do a great job with leadership development. You do a late job of living in community through small groups and those kind of things. Hey, but then I think at the end he's like, make sure, make sure you excel in this grace of giving. And this word grace is, is, is a word that means gift. And I think this is particularly important for us in this room. As I've got a chance to kind of travel, I mean, even in the last year or so, be in Africa, see the church in Africa or the church in Haiti and the church in India and other places around the world, there's different gifts that God has given different parts of the church in different parts of the world. One of the gifts that he has given the North American church, and I think candidly one of the gifts he's particularly given us in Naperville is he's been extraordinarily generous with us. Extraordinarily generous. And hear me on this too. We have such a good God. We have such a good God. He wants us to enjoy it. He wants, I mean, he's like a good dad. He wants you to enjoy the gifts. But he also, he also didn't just bless you so you could be blessed. He wants you to be a blessing to other people around you and also around the world. Does that make sense? And I think he'd say, hey, make sure you also excel in this grace and the giving. And then he goes on and he kind of puts us to the test. He said, hey, I'm not commanding you to, but here's what I want to do. I want to test, I want to test the sincerity of your love. I want to see if you're going to put your money where you say your heart is. And see, one of the neat things about financial generosity, one attribute it has as far as spiritual growth that's different than others, financial generosity is actually trackable. It's, it's quantifiable. It, it's, it's objective to a degree anyway. Where, where like so much about growing spiritually, sometimes it's kind of hard to get a handle on. It feels a little fuzzy, kind of like you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, right? It's kind of hard to quantify. Am I more loving this year than I was last year? I hope so. Am I more patient this week than I was last week? Ask my wife, <laughs> right? Am I more generous this year than I was last year? Ah, that, I, I, can, I can measure that. I can track that. And last week we talked about tithing and, and, and I was fortunate enough, I mean, as a kid, that, just was, that was kind of like one of the values in our house. And so if I got a dollar, if I got a dollar for an allowance, I knew 10%, 10 cents, right? A dime of it, you, you give back, back to God. That was kind of drilled into us. But God doesn't want to just stay there. He wants you to keep growing in this. And I've watched lots of people, okay, probably thousands of people now, find their way back to God and start growing. And what we've laid out for you, I'm telling you, this is a pattern. This is a pattern for how you grow spiritually. It's one dimension of it. 
And, and it's, it's as simple as this. You start out as an initial giver. You, you realize how generous God has been to you and you're going like, oh man, if that's who God is and I'm a lover of God and a follower of Jesus who is God, then I need to be generous. And you start, initially you start giving back because that's the Holy Spirit working in you. And then all of a sudden, then you get to the place where it's proportional and you develop a discipline about it, maybe like 10%. But then eventually you get to the point over here, okay, this, this point, where you become a surrendered giver. You get way over from here to there, and you say, oh, you know, everything I have is God's. How does he, how does he, want, how does he want me to use that? I want to land on this just for a little bit. What does it look like for us to get to that place to be a surrendered giver? Let me give you a few characteristics, just based on Scripture and my own experience. One characteristic is this. Surrendered givers, surrendered givers are willing to stretch. Surrender, when I, these folks that are surrender givers, when they get there, it, it, it's almost like a sport for them. Seriously, it's almost like a sport. I mean, if they're, at, if they're at 12%, you know, they're going, how do I get to 13%? How do I get to 14%? Let me ask you this. If there's any part of you where you feel like, and this is between you and God, like the Holy Spirit, like something inside you's going like, yeah, I need to, I need to be stretching in my generosity. Don't push that down. Don't push that down. That's God prompting you right now saying, hey, I wanna help you go from here to there. I wanna help you go from here to there. Here's a second characteristic. The second characteristic, surrendered givers also develop what I call a generous reflex. A generous, they're, they're, surrendered givers are kind of impulsive, but, but in a good way. Surrendered givers have this reflex when they see a need they don't think, you know what? Somebody ought to do something about that. You know what surrenders givers think? Their first reflex is, oh, I ought to do something about that. Or, or if you're a couple, we ought to do something. Or a family, we should all, let's all, all do something about that. Generosity almost becomes like a reflex. Hey, I got the means, I could do that. I got the means, I could help with that. They see a need, they want to meet it. Meet it. They see a hurt, they want to heal it. They see an opportunity to give, they're generous. Let me ask you this. As I'm talking right now about kind of that, anytime this morning, have there been anybody that, anybody that you know that's hurting, that's brought to mind? Some other organization outside of community that is a great cause that could use your help? Some other thing around the world where you go, that really does it, it just kind of breaks your heart? Maybe, if you're gonna be a surrender giver, pay it, go ahead and honor that reflex. Go like, hey, let's do this. It doesn't matter how much necessarily, but let's do something. Because I'm telling you, surrendered givers have this kind of generous reflex, a generous reflex. So they stretch, they have a generous reflex, but they're also, here's the last thing, they are grateful. They're just grateful people. Consistently, people over here who I find who are the most generous are also people who seem to be just overwhelmed with an awareness of how kind and how good and how gracious God has been to them. They just get it. And out of that gratitude for how generous God's been to them, they're generous. How many, how many, of, you, um, how many of you know the name Rick Warren? Rick Warren? Okay, our Purpose Driven Life. He wrote a book called Purpose Driven Life, New York Times bestseller. Um, um, when his book soared to number one on the New York Times bestseller list, um, I know Rick. Um, he's a pastor out in Southern California. I remember him, him telling me, he said, he said, it was like the money just started pouring in. 
And he said it was, it was, and he said it in a way it was just like almost overwhelming. He didn't anticipate that the book would do what it did. And um, as soon as he did, he kind of made a few decisions. First of all, he he made three decisions. He was not going to change his lifestyle. He kept driving the same truck, kept living pickup truck that he always drives, and I, I've seen it. And uh, and he lives in the same house. Um, second, he set up a foundation, two foundations: one for children that are orphaned because of AIDS, and another one for pastors. And then third thing he did, he became, and I hadn't heard this before him, he became what he called a, re, a reverse tither. <laughs> a reverse tither. He said, because tithing is like God asks you to tithe. You live on 90% and you give 10% away. He said, I had so much money, I just became a reverse tither. I said, I'm gonna live on 10% and give 90% away. And, it, and, and, the, and the, the book and the hundreds of thousands of people it's helped, I mean, it's, it is a great, great, great story. But maybe the backstory in some ways is the story of generosity. And getting to know Rick, and, and not so much Kay, but a little bit, they started a church. Here's my take on it. They started a church like 40 years ago. They moved from Iowa, had just a couple nickels to rub together to Southern California, started this church. Here's this young couple out of seminary, have, don't have any money. And you know, one of the things he did is he, on this, like what we're talking about here, he, he became what we'd call a surrendered giver. Him and Kay made a decision that every year they were gonna kind of increase their giving by a percentage point. They went to 11% and then 12% and 13% and kept doing it. And you know what? Long before this book ever showed up and all the money started pouring in, he was already a surrendered giver. And here's my take. I don't know. We'll find out in heaven someday. I think what happened, I think part of what happened is I think God said, you know what? I bet Rick could handle this. I bet Rick could handle this. And he blessed that book. And, um, and it's just an extraordinary story, not only of difference making, but also of generosity. Here's my theory. Let me, I'll tell you, I'm gonna ask you a question. How many of you wanna be generous? How many of you wanna be generous, right? That's, that was what I thought. That's why I kinda like talking about this. Cause I come in here, I know we all want to be, all right? Let me warn you though, one of the easiest traps to fall into is to tell ourselves, I'll give more when I have more. That's the trap. Oh, if I was Bill Gates, right? When I make my first million, when I get that job, when I get that raise, and here's the problem with all those things. Hear me on this. This is gonna be important. All of that makes sense. It makes sense, but it's just not true. It makes sense, but it's not true. Because here's what happens. If we're not generous with this little bit that we have now, you know what? We won't be generous with all this someday either. It'll always be someday, someday, someday. If we could be generous with a mango, then guess what? When God does, if he does decide to give us a whole bunch, we'll be generous with that too. And this whole generosity thing, okay? It's not for someday or someone or somebody else. It's for every one of us. And I think we have the opportunity to learn from like Haitian orphans. We have an opportunity to learn from the Macedonians. And if we're gonna be extraordinarily generous people, it happens right now, no matter how much we have no matter what we have. Um, let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to say thanks. I want to say thanks that um, you're so kind to us in that through your written word, you give us this clear path of how to get from here to there to a place that can be where we can be stuck in worry and anxiety and frustration, but you, can, you want to take us to a place of 
security and, and satisfaction and significance. Thank you that your word shows us how to get there, but also thank you that your Holy Spirit wants to come inside us and also guide us along the way and, and help us kind of nuance, know the right steps to take. And that you also put around us a community of people that are also traveling the same journey who can encourage us and support us. Father, thank you for that. And Lord, I ask today that whatever promptings that, uh, that, that you, you put on us to be generous, and I know you're gonna bring up situations and circumstances this week, let us be generous people, both for our own sake, but also for the sake of your mission. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.